Well, okay, today we're going, to, we're continuing the study. Fact is, we're finishing the series, this talk, a group of talk on this issue of, of faith and what does faith look, at, look like. If you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at Abraham's life. The Bible says that Abraham was this man that demonstrated great faith. And so if we want to know what faith looks like and if we want to know how to live out our faith, then it makes sense to look at someone who the Bible says this man demonstrated just great faith. I mean, this man was able to live out his faith. See, there was something special about this guy, Abraham. Abraham had this, this well, in Texas. Let me, let me, I'm going to teach you some Texas lingo because I know that's why you came here this morning. In Texas, we normally take two or three words and, like, put them together. And, and that just becomes like a word for us. And we get it. We understand it. Not everybody else does, but we get, we get it and we understand it. And so in Texas, we put a couple of words together call, and we'll say, hey, you want to? You want to? And that's just, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's three words. You want to. But anyway, it's like want to. And we say that a lot in Texas. And so Abraham had this want to faith. See, there's two types of faith. There's a want to faith and there's a have to faith. See, a have-to faith is just trying to do it just enough to get by. A have-to faith, it's kind of a duty. It's kind of a religious thing that we do. It's kind of something that we do to relieve some guilt and some things that we do. And so a have-to faith is just this issue that you just follow Christ out of duty. Now listen, if you've been life journaling with us, you know that we've been walking through a group of scriptures in the Gospels where, where Jesus talked about the unworthy servant and says, you know what an unworthy servant is? An unworthy servant is one that follows me out of duty follows me out of some religious thing, follows me, because it's just this have-to. But you see, when you look at Abraham's life, he doesn't have a have-to faith. He has a want-to faith. And a want-to faith is, is this deep faith that is just so personal. And it, it doesn't matter who's going with me. I'm just following him. And it isn't out of guilt, and it isn't out of, of some religious thing that someone does. It is something that they are just called so deep that it's so passionate. And listen, Abraham, when we've walked through his life, gone, he's gone through one test after another, right? And we've looked at those tests. God called Abraham and told Abraham that one day I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to give you Isaac, the promised child. And, and with Isaac, you're going to become the father of, of many nations. And through that, Abraham goes through one test after another. Now, let's be clear here this morning. Um, Satan tempts us for evil. Satan tempts us to sin. Satan tempts us for evil. Scripture says that God never tempts us for evil. But God tests us. And God tests us for good. And that is a huge difference. And God tests us from what James says to mature us, to develop us, to, uh, to solidify our faith or to deepen our faith. But God tests us for good. And so Abraham's gone at, through one test after another. I mean, God called him uh, to go to a land that, that he would show him. That was a test for Abraham. He had to leave his family. He had to leave his creature comforts. He had to leave the, the culture that he was accustomed to and that he loved and, and he, he found comfort in. God tested him when there was a delay. You know, Abraham made the decision to follow him. And then there was a delay before God answered that prayer. And so there was a test of that. God tested him through adversity is, is, is what, what Scripture tells us. And, and he went through difficult times. And God tested him when... When Lot and his nephews left him, and now he had to go it alone. And now this morning, we come to probably one of the most difficult tests of all. 
the test of prosperity. There's something about prosperity. There's something about climbing the ladder of success that if we are not careful, we can lose our spiritual equilibrium. There's something about this issue of prosperity that if we are not careful, we no longer realize and we no longer feel like we're dependent on God. But we just have to depend on ourselves, our wealth and our income, our education, our profession, our stuff. The fact is, the test of prosperity that you find, probably the most difficult test in Abraham's life, and I would think the most difficult test in our lives as well. Thomas Carlyle said this. He said, for, for every man you can find that can withstand prosperity, I will show you a hundred that can withstand adversity. I started thinking about that quote and saying, you know, does that have any biblical foundation and, and, and how, could we, how could we flesh this out in, in Scripture? And, and I quickly thought of three main Bible characters that, that were successfully walked through. I mean, they walked through the test of adversity with just flying colors and all three of them failed miserably in the test of prosperity. King David, King Saul, and King Solomon. I mean, when you look at Abraham's life, you find that Abraham was faithful and followed God before the blessing and after the blessing. That he followed him faithful before the difficulty and through the difficulty and on the other side of the difficulty. He followed him faithfully before the prayer was ever answered and he followed him faithfully faithfully after the prayer was answered. There's something about this issue of prosperity that if we're not careful, it gets our whole spiritual equilibrium just totally out of out of whack for Abraham through the test of prosperity he had to ask the question in my prosperity do I still put God first do I care more about the gift or the one who gives the gift Do I care more about the blessing and how he blesses me or the blesser? Do I care more about the promise than the one who gave me the promise? I mean, this for Abraham was a time of just deepening in his life. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. We're just going to start reading together. And I'm going to to bring out four principles about this issue of of prosperity for you this morning. And you have your Bibles, iPhones, iPads, Nooks, whatever, Kindles, whatever works for you, works for us. So uh, here we go, verse 1. And the scripture says, and so after these things, we'll understand, after these things, God tested Abraham. So remember, again, God does not tempt us for evil. God tests us for good, for the development, for the maturity in our life. And so he says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And so Abraham quickly said, here I am. Now understand, this is a test for for Abraham, and God is performing a test for Abraham. But he is not going to require him to sacrifice his son. But Abraham is not aware of that. And so the first principle is this. In prosperity, Abraham continued to hear God's voice. 
Man, there are so many people in crisis, and when crisis hit and problems hit and, and their whole world is shaken and the foundations of their world is shaken, that they pull close to God, they seek, cl- they seek Him, they got the prayer request, they got the Scripture, they got all the stuff, and then when He answers the prayer, when He gets them out of the problem, then it's like, God, we can handle it from here. But not Abraham. Abraham continued to hear God's voice. And listen, let me tell you something. We know this, right? In relationships, communication is like very, very important. Communication is important in marriage. Communication is important in relationships. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with patients or clients or supervisors or coworkers or within your family or community. We get this, right? Communication, how we communicate to one another is just, just critical. I heard the story about a husband and wife that were having some marital difficulties. And so the wife's issue with her husband was is that her husband was just blunt. And um, she just felt he was just too blunt. So she says, you know what, I'm going away for, with, with a girlfriend and we're gonna, I'm going to be away four nights and give you a time to think and I'm going to have a time to think. And he said, fine. And so she left. And so the first night she called him to see how things were going. And he says, well, honey, I've got to tell you, your cat is dead. And so she's like... I love that cat. Fact is, I had that cat longer than I had you. And I love that cat. And she says, you know, that's the problem I have with you. You're just so blunt. I mean, just the, just the first thing you told me, the cat's dead. I wasn't even prepared for that. And, he, and she's like, well, what should I have done? He goes, here's what you should have done. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be gone four days. Nothing I could really do about it, so, uh, about the cat. So the first night when I called, you, you could tell me, you know what, honey? Your cat is, is on the roof. And then maybe the second night when I call and say, how's the cat? You go, well, the cat fell off the roof. And then maybe the third night you could tell me, you know what? The cat is at the vet. And then the fourth night when I'm about ready to go, now I'm kind of prepared and I know. And then you could tell me, honey, your, your cat is dead. He goes, oh, okay, uh, I guess. And she says, forget it. You'll never get this. How's my mom? He goes, honey, your mom's on the roof. <laughs> You know, let me tell you something. Communication is critical, right? Communication is critical in the marriage, in the home, in parenting, in school. But let me tell you something. Communication with God is critical. And even in prosperity. See, Abraham did not allow the noise of success and believe in your own press clippings and the, the noise of, of, of prosperity to, to just drown out God's voice. Abraham... He met with God during crisis. He met with God before the the blessing, and he met with God after the blessing. Let's just continue reading. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and so Abraham said, here am I. He said, take your son, uh, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Isaac, I know how much you love that son. And go to the land Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering. We'll understand what burnt offering is. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. See, Abraham didn't change anything about his relationship, communication with God. Remember when Abraham, when God called Abraham the first time and said, I want you to go and, go and leave the land that you know and go to another land? What land is that? Uh, I'll tell you when I get there, the land that I will show you. See, it doesn't matter how successful you get. It doesn't matter how much prosperity you have. You still have to depend on God. You still have to walk in faith. And Abraham and God still had this relationship. But, but I want you to understand, 
can you imagine? I mean, this morning, don't, don't just hear this as a story, as a story. Try to place yourself in that story. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind? That God has just called him, God has just asked him to sacrifice Isaac? Isaac, his son, whom he, whom he loved, and he's the only son left in the home. Remember, he had Ishmael through Hagar, but Ishmael is no longer in the home for disciplinary reasons and whole thing there. Isaac represents the dream that God had planted in his heart. Isaac was the dream. God asked Abraham, I'm asking you to sacrifice your, your dream. The dream that you have for your life, the plans that you've made for your life. Abraham's about ready to find out who does he love more, the gift or the giver, the promise or the one who promised it. Let me ask you, would you sacrifice your dream for God? Would you sacrifice the dream that God has planted in your heart for him? I know people and I know men that were in college and they were on a different track in a different profession. And God began to turn their heart. And whether they followed him in ministry, whether they followed him in missions, had lunch with a, with a guy um, Thursday and he works for Compassion and he's our C2C director Mark Geary and uh, we sat down and Mark was, is just a great guy and, and we sit down and, and he's, just, he's just, he just it was just interesting, I mean he sat down and first thing he asked me, do you mind if I direct the conversation I'm like no and, and then he pulls out this book and I mean he has this list and we just starts going through and bang bang and we're just going through it and so I said hey, whoa, 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 tell me your story and he goes, he goes, you see, I'm a, I'm a retired Air Force colonel. And we built our dream home in San Antonio, Texas. And I went on a mission trip with Compassion International. Next thing I know, I'm selling my dream home. I'm calling Compassion. And I'm saying, what could I do to help you? I got to make my life count. I ask you, you sacrifice your dream? It's more about you and your comfort and all of that other stuff. For him? Scripture says, after these things, which most theologians believe that, Abraham, that Isaac was a teenager. He was in his mid-teens. He was like 13 years old. I don't know that I believe that because I don't know that that'd be much of a sacrifice. So I'm kidding. <laughs> I am totally kidding. Don't write me. But we know this, that Isaac was old enough at that point 
had a deep relationship with his dad. They'd probably hunted together and fished together, cooked meals together. We know that they had worshipped together. They'd probably teased about girls and, and sports and all of these other things. And so they had built this relationship together. It's like God is not just asking Abraham, just let Isaac go to the mission field. I mean, he's not asking him to give him away in marriage. I mean, I know what that's like. I mean, my daughter Brittany, I know how hard that was when I gave her away, and it, that was a good thing in marriage. She just wasn't going to live in my house any longer. I cannot imagine what's going through Abraham's mind and what God is calling him to do. The second thing about prosperity is this. In prosperity, Abraham continued to obey God's instructions. See, see, Abraham, even in prosperity, understood that I am still dependent on him. I still walk in faith. And I still trust him. And I still obey his word. That's why life journaling is so important to us here. That's why we as a staff and our leadership and a lot of people in our church, that we life journal. In other words, we open up the word and we read scripture. And we, we, we not only read scripture, but we respond to it. Because the blessing is not in just reading the word, but the blessing is in responding to the word and obeying the word. You know, we've been remodeling, and I've installed a lot of stuff in our house, and I'm learning more and more about the importance of following the instructions. I mean, how many times have we put something together and come back and said, you know what, I should have, I should have followed step two. NASA, years back, came up with what became known as the chicken launcher. And so when they were developing uh, windshields for airplanes that, that could withstand the, the impacts of, of birds uh, and deflect it and not come in, uh, they were they working through this. And so they developed this chicken launcher, and it looked a lot like a cannon. And they would take this chicken, and they'd stuff this chicken in a cannon, and then they had so many feet from the test windshields, from the test spacecraft or the plane or whatever they were using, and they would, seriously, they'd fire this cannon and fire this chicken, and it would hit the windshield, and they'd do all these engineering studies, and they'd develop some, some glass that would withstand a, a bird impact because it could kill not only a pilot but passengers. Well... The guys over in England heard about this and because and they were developing a high-speed train and they were having trouble with bird impacts coming into the, the, the cabin and coming into the cockpit. And so they called NASA and they said, hey, can we borrow your chicken launcher? And so, so NASA's engineer said, sure, no problem. And so they boxed it up, they gave a set of instructions, and they, they, they sent it off to, to, to England. And so the guys in England, they set the chicken up, they got, their, their, they got their train in front of it, and they fired the chicken off, and the chicken went through the windshield like butter. I mean, it didn't even stop. It went. Fact is, it entered the cockpit, broke through the bulkhead, went through the bulkhead, entered first-class cabin, and ricocheted around in there, and then lodged itself in the, 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 the back wall of the first-class cabin. And they're, like, shocked. I mean, they kind of figured it may crack it or whatever, but they, they're like, this is crazy. So they call NASA, and they said, are you sure this thing works? And they go, yeah. And they go, well, here's what happened. And so the NASA engineers were perplexed, and so they says, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you send us the, the engineering specs? Give us everything that you did, and our engineers will take time, we'll review it, and we'll fax you back an answer. 
And so they, they faxed them the, the specs, and so NASA looked at it. And NASA sent them a simple three-word reply that said, Thaw the chicken. <laughs> That's crazy. So the point of the story is, some of you are going to go away. That's all you're going to remember. Don't, re- you know. But the point of the story is, is that, you know what? You've got to follow God's instructions. You've got to obey them. Abraham, in his prosperity, he humbled himself. He came under God's authority. He submitted himself to him. And he obeyed the instructions that God had given him. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his, up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Watch this. Here's his first statement of faith. You see, Abraham followed God and he trusted God. And you never get to the place where you no longer walk in faith. Here's his first statement. And he says, and so he tells this to his servants. And I and the boy will go over there and worship. And guess what? We're coming back. We're going to go worship. I don't know how God's going to do this. I don't know how God's going to take care of this. We're going to go worship. And guess what? We will come back. So many people just misunderstand worship. Worship is more. Or worship is not only. Gathering in a church, singing some songs, listening to a sermon, giving an offering, and communion. That's a part of it. But it's not only that. Worship in its purest form is offering your very best to him that gave nothing but his best for you. Whether it's in a service, worshiping him, whether it's in the home, whether it's in a profession, whether it's in relationships. Listen, let me tell you something. Worship in its purest form. Total surrender to him. The whole book of Malachi is about this subject of just living excellent lives and giving your best to the one who has given nothing but his best for you. To where you're surrendered to him and you understand a relationship with him. That's why Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To where we understand worship is a way of life. Worship is living surrendered lives to Him. A living sacrifice is always more difficult than a dead sacrifice, right? I mean, we on on a Sunday morning... We can offer our bodies on the, on the altar as a living sacrifice. And if we are not careful, we will crawl off that altar on Monday morning. That's why it's daily. I appeal to you. I urge you. I beg you. Offer your 
bodies, your time, your talents, your treasures, and you worship me out of total surrender. Hebrews gives us some insight what was going through Abraham's mind. Hebrews eleven seventeen By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, so God tests for good. God tests to develop us, to mature us. Offered up Isaac, he who had received the promise, was in, in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Though Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Listen, let me tell you something. When you face impossible situations in your life, you do not focus on, on what you cannot do. You focus on what he can do. See, that was Abraham's focus. When you go through difficult situations in life, when I go through difficult situations in life, you do not focus on what you cannot do. You will get discouraged every time. You will give up. Listen, let me tell you something. A have-to faith will never trust him in adversity. A have-to faith will blow out when it gets difficult. See this. See, only a want-to faith. This is just who you are allows you to walk through challenges and in difficult times. So Abraham knew, I got to hear God's voice, but guess what? I got to obey his instructions. And I'm going to follow him. And Abraham shifted. And he was focusing on only what God can do. The, the third thing about prosperity is this, is in prosperity, Abraham continued to give God his best. And he gave God his best in adversity and struggles. And he gave God his best in prosperity. After God answered that prayer, after God took care of that situation in his life, Genesis 22, verse 6, we'll just keep going. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and there was, we won't go through it, but there were specific instructions given of how to build an altar. It was very time-consuming how to build an altar, the things that would be required for an altar, the things that were required for, for worship. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the, the fire and the knife, and so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father... He said, here am I, son. This gives me some insight into Isaac's life as well as his dad. It's what Isaac says. Behold, the fire and the wood is here. But where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? It tells me two things. 
One about Abraham and one about Isaac. Abraham lived a totally surrendered life. He worshiped God. Tells me also that Abraham handed off his faith to Isaac. Isaac knew what worship looked like. Why? Because he watched his dad. Because he worshiped with him. This wasn't the first time they'd ever worshiped together. Isaac didn't say, where are we going? What are we doing? He had watched his dad worship. When your children watch you worship, what do they see? Do they see a mom and a dad that are engaged in worship? Do they see a mom and a dad that are giving their best to the one who is giving nothing but his best for them? Do they see someone that is passionate, that doesn't have a have-to faith, but has a want to faith this issue with burnt offering it was one of the most frequent offerings in the Old Testament and a burnt offering was called for that something was sacrificially given or something that was totally and completely consumed fact is in this passage in, in the Hebrew five times it uses the term burnt offering, depending on your, your translation, it may or may not have it that many times, but, but an ESV and some others will, will have it. And so five different times it says a burnt offering is required. See, Abraham had a want-to faith, not a have-to faith, or, or it's just a duty, and, and how little can I do and still make it? Abraham did not turn to his son and said, you know what, let's lay just your finger on the altar after all you got like 10 of them you'll still live it would be a little bit of an imposition but nothing like what God is calling for worship in its purest form is total and complete surrender to Him in every area of your life. So many people want the benefit of the kingdom and not really the king. And they can become more enamored with the gift and the promise than the one who makes the promise and the one who gives the gift by the world standards even in difficult economic times we still live in a land of prosperity do you realize we live in a time when the average believer only gives 3% of their income 
The average non-believer gives 3% of their income to different charities. The average Christian has difficulty giving with all the promises that God has attached to the gift and to the giver. If we're not careful in prosperity, we can become more enamored in love with the gift than the giver. The fourth and the last principle of prosperity is this. In prosperity, Abraham continued to trust in God's plan. You never get to the place in life to where you can no longer walk by faith and no longer trust in him. And Abraham was no different. And even in prosperity, Abraham still submitted to him and humbled himself and understood that everything that he had was the gift of God and it came from the hand of God. Verse 8, well, let's do this. Let's read 7 because Isaac asked a question. Here's what he asked. So we got the flow. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he says, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, uh, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So here's what Abraham said. What a statement. And Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself the lamb. Your kids ever hear you depend on God? Your kids ever hear you when they go through struggle, when they go through difficulty, to say, God will provide? God will take care of this situation? We're going to faithfully follow him? See, Abraham said, I don't, basically, I don't know how God's going to do this. You see, Abraham did not focus on what he could not do. He focused on what God would do and what God could do. And he said, son... God will, will, will provide the, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Abraham, at this point, had to be choking back tears. Isaac, I mean, can you imagine what that walk was like? Verse 9. And so when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and so he followed the instructions. He laid them in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. Can you imagine what it was like when he was tying his wrist to the altar and their eyes met? What went through Abraham's mind and what went through Isaac's mind? And he laid Isaac on top of the wood and so let, let, let's keep in mind that Abra Isaac is about 13 years of age do you realize that would make uh, Abraham about 113 years old Isaac could have overpowered his dad his dad physically was not strong enough maybe this test wasn't just for Abraham. Maybe it was for Isaac as well. Isaac had to submit. Isaac could have stopped the whole process. But he trusted God. So, verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to, 
to slaughter his, his, his son. And in the Hebrew, that's just the most violent word in the Hebrew language for to slay or to kill or to slaughter. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And that, that's like a shout whenever you see uh, words that are repetitive. It was like a, a sense of just urgency. So Abraham said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your, your hand on the boy or do anything to, to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your, your son, your dream, your plans. Your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by, by his horns. And Abraham lived out of his, out of, out of his faith front of his family and he was able to show Isaac that God provides verse 11 and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as, as a burnt offering and instead of his instead of his son this is for free this is the first place in scripture that there's a substitute for a sacrifice. There's a substitute for someone else. The ram died in Isaac's place. First time, thousands of years later, Jesus Christ would come. And he was a substitute for us, and he died in our place so that we could have forgiveness of sin and verse 14 so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide and it was said to this day on the mount of the, of, of the Lord uh, it shall be provided when you look at Abraham's life you see that his life was blessed because of the way in which and the manner in which that he followed him and I just cannot imagine, you know, two, two things and a lot of things I've tried to imagine in this story. And one was what it was like for Abraham and Isaac when, when they went to worship and they knowing what they were about ready to do. The other thing that I cannot imagine is can you imagine what it was like for them, the joy that they had when they walked down that, down that mountain together after what God had done and God had provided And I'm telling you, when God has proved himself over and over faithful in my life, it changes everything about you. And the manner in which that you worship, and the manner in which that you surrender to him, that Abraham and Isaac were just never the same. And I have such a burden for, for our generation and, and, and our church that God began stirring in me sometime in the summer that maybe we've just 
maybe we no longer understand what it really means to be a devoted follower of Christ and we have just dumbed it down to a have-to faith to where it's something that we just do because we have to and we just do because it's duty and we just do because we're supposed to and, and hopefully if we could just do enough then we can just kind of feel good about ourselves. And what if we no longer know and no longer understand because of American culture and all this other stuff what it means to be willing to surrender hopes and dreams and plans and giving our best to the one who is giving nothing but his best, his very best to us. When we needed a substitute for our sin, God gave his very best for us. The one who knew no sin. So that we could have a relationship with him. And I pray that you would not only be able to hear his voice, that you would life journal, that you would open up scripture, that you'd not only be able to hear his voice, but you'd be able to just surrender to him and obey his instructions and just follow him and walk with him and respond to him as you live surrendered lives. And some of you this morning, you may need to start out just surrendering to him for the very first time. And that is submitting to him and asking him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. If you have never done that, this is your morning today. For you ask him to forgive you of your sins, give you the gift of eternal life and start a relationship with him. And maybe you've done that. Then you have a next step. Fact is, we all have a next step. Where you start deepening in him and you open the word and you listen to his voice and you learn to, to discern his voice. But we all this morning have a next step to take. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Then let me ask you this morning, how does God want you to respond to this, this message? How, do you, how does God want you to respond to his word, what he's asking you to do? Well, if you need to accept him, you, you can do that right where you are. Just ask him. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic words. To where you ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you the newness of eternal life. But maybe you've done that. And maybe for whatever reason, prosperity or whatever, whatever reason, you've lost your spiritual equilibrium. And you realize, you know what? I got to have to faith. I got a faith out of duty. I got a faith out of just religion. I got a faith that just, you know what? I'm just going to do as little as required. And maybe this morning, God wants you to respond in such a way that you're going to move to a, a want-to faith. Maybe this morning you have a prayer request, you have a need in your life, and let me tell you something, we want to pray for you. The fact is, we'd consider it an honor and a privilege just to pray for you. Whatever you're walking through this morning, whether, whether it's just some great times and you're trying to discern God's voice and maybe His will, and maybe you need to pray for someone, maybe you want to intercede with some, for someone, you know what, maybe it's something you're walking through, whether it's a medical issue, it's a financial issue, um, it's an issue of the relationship, 
uh, maybe it's a relationship, whatever it is, we do not care. Here's what we care about. The Bible says that we bear one another's burdens as if they were our own. We want an opportunity to pray for you. This morning, if you need prayer, please, please, please do not leave this place without receiving prayer and encouragement. So in just a few minutes after I pray and we, we stand, I'm just going to invite you just take a step of faith. Just obey his voice. Step out. Make your way down. Prayer partners will be coming with you. In fact, is other people will be coming with you. And just, we'll direct you. Tell them your name, how they can pray for you. And we'd love to have the privilege and the honor to pray for you. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we can trust you with our lives. May we understand, may we know that when we pray to you, you hear us. So, Father, I ask that you'd pull everybody very close to you here this morning. There'd be no barriers in this room. And people would respond to you and people would receive prayer and encouragement and support for their lives because that's what we do. We bear one another's burdens as if they were our own. And we thank you for that, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.